Welcome to episode three of the Practical Operations Podcast. We're your hosts, Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. Today we're talking about advanced metrics and monitoring. Tell me about your graphite stuff. To, to be honest, Brendan set it up and we haven't touched it since. <laughs> kind of like well, your last year's setup. Brendan, he probably set it up pretty reasonably. It was probably getting a little long in the tooth. The one thing, in my opinion, stay away from stats D. Why do you say so? So for some of our metrics, we're trying to do a average of... No, I guess I shouldn't say average. We're trying to roll up the number of messages or operations we're doing on something per minute. But stats D adds in an average element every 10 seconds to that. So to... When a developer looks at the logs and looks at a, and they log their message count, for instance, or operation count, they they see that they actually did twenty six between you know this minute during this minute. But then in the graph, it shows ten or fifteen, and somebody's expecting that to be twenty six. So you've got your flush interval with graphite not matching your intervals with graph. The flush interval with stats D not matching the intervals with graphite? Uh, when you're set, which interval? The hit count interval of the reporting or the interval for the storage, whisper storage? The, the whisper DB storage interval. A if that's set to 60 seconds, your stats D flush interval needs to also be set to 60 seconds. Brendan, do you remember? No, I'm checking. Hold on. <laughs> it's been too long. <laughs> I want to say it is actually set to 10 seconds, but give me one second. I can actually tell you. Hold on. Yeah, otherwise, StatsD will send in six samples for that one minute period, and Graphite will take the last value for that timestamp it receives and record that as, as, as biblical truth. Yeah, StatsD solves a different problem that Graphite solves. StatsD solves the we're trying to count a lot of different things in a bucket right now. So we're trying to accumulate counters of an, of a login. You're trying to accumulate those things. Whereas graphite is what was the value at this point in time? And you know, the, you know, the point in time value already. Basically you can either keep a counter in your code and send a, a send that counter to graphite every 60 seconds, every interval or every event that happens, you can send a metric to stats D and it will do the counting and all the math uh, related to that and then send a summaries to, to graphite. Yes, so we are doing we are storing it for 10 seconds because there is a stats pattern that is that has a 10 second retention for seven days. So I'm also looking at the, the query we're running and we are doing hit count one minute. Try non-negative derivative instead. Is that a function? Oh, hang on. Oh, it's a graphite function. Yeah, but I'm trying to think about how you're sending the metrics in. The Every actual well, the, the the value that gets recorded in the whisper file on disk. It's not a counter; it's a gauge, right? Yes. So when there's no messages flowing, it shows zero, and when you have messages flowing, it shows data of some kind. Right. And that data is being summarized incorrectly. Yeah, it can be. It could be off from what we expect it to be. Now, I just remembered that maybe we solved this earlier because of time differences. Like, 
you know, especially if we're over a, a boundary of some, you know, near a minute boundary, the database that they're looking at or their logs that are looking at may already be accounting for that being before the minute, whereas Graphite is saying it's after the minute. It sounds like to me that there's that you're not grokking the data appropriately, so the the graph you're looking at doesn't actually isn't actually the data you think it is. That could very well be the case. And I don't use hit count a lot. I mean, basically, we're warning minute averages of an oper of how many times we're doing something, and we have our we have their 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 software sends a ping essentially every time they work on something. And you shove that ping through stats D. And we shove that ping through stats D. And through a stats D counter. Right. And you're getting how many a second? How many pings a second? Or a, how many? About how many per interval per, per 10 seconds? The average we have over a minute is 40 to 60. Okay. So maybe, maybe you know. 10, 8, 8 to 10 a second, every 10 seconds. And what are you actually seeing in the graph? Yeah, I mean, pretty close. I mean, like I said, we're, we're talking about, you know, they're looking at an absolute number and it shows 48 and the graph shows 46 or something, you know, very close, but it's off. Okay, okay, that's, yeah, that's different. It's not somehow. like it's like, you know, cr like it, it's two. It's just that it's almost like an average versus, you know, they're they're expecting it to be an absolute. So one uh, key thing about StatsD um, to keep in mind is its UDP nature is is fire and forget. It's sort of designed to sample your data um, and that a, a small loss of, of incoming metrics is not going to be consequential. But this um, is the local land. There is no packet loss. There is no <laughs> only Come over on. the over only over the internet do you actually lose packets. Well, sure, everybody knows that. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. And that's one of the interesting things about StatsD is that it's more or less a real time system. the The protocol itself does not include a timestamp. That is, is calculated and and averaged and all that magic by the StatsD daemon itself. So the timestamp that's being applied to that data point is after it's sent, after it's received, and as the StatsD daemon is processing the data. So I've, I've definitely seen cases where, where the data windows shift because it's processing the data uh, several seconds uh, later than, than when it's actually generated and sent. Right, and I think that now, now I'm remembering that was what we kind of discovered um, was that we we were near a time boundary for that 10 second dump or whatever you have configured. Dars is 10 seconds, but it could be whatever. And since it was holding onto those metrics for up to 10 seconds, that was the accountability. That was the that's what accounted for the two or three uh, negligent difference between what we saw in the graphs and what was actually logged to to this log or to the database. That sounds pretty reasonable. Yeah. And the beauty of Graphite, and honestly, from what I remember, the reason Graphite was written in the first place was Graphite lets you do out-of-order updates. StatsD does not. StatsD is a real-time right now. Yeah, if you send late data to StatsD, it's, it just gets in the next bucket. 
And once once StatSD has calculated that particular bucket and written that data to Graphite, there is no unraveling the percentiles and recalculating them. I've read about some systems that do. They save min, max, average, standard deviations along with the data point. I don't remember offhand which one it was. It may have been Influx or one of the others. With the idea that you can then... Conus does that. More introspection. They store the roll data along with several uh, roll-ups. And if they if you get different data, it dirties the the five-minute roll-up or the standard deviation roll-up, and it knows that it needs to go and recalculate that that dirty interval. But it has the roll data to do that calculation from. StatSD just tosses the roll data out the door. Yeah, StatSD solves a very specific problem, and it solves it well. Well, well enough. But it doesn't handle all cases. And that that nature of SSD being a real-time right-now thing is also, for me, the biggest attractor of Prometheus, which is a metrics-based monitoring system that I'm evaluating, in that it's real-time. It happens right now. The Prometheus server goes out and scrapes the exporter on the node and asks, you know, what what is the state of the system right now? And whatever it gets back is what it records. And you can't go back in time. You can't backfill. If your Prometheus server is offline for five minutes, you have a five-minute gap in your data, and there is no way to go back and backfill. A key uh, designism about Prometheus is that it's a time series database is not like Graphite that stores specific intervals. When Prometheus uh, gets a data point and writes it to disk with a timestamp, those timestamps are completely arbitrary, and it just stores the next one after the next one. So it can, in the same time series, it can record high-resolution data, be low-resolution, skip a few. Uh, It doesn't waste space that way. And that has a lot of ramifications for the raw data that it stores and what you can do with it. They're also optimized, from my reading, on the... You had an outage of of the monitoring system. Your key goal right now is to be back online and running and monitoring. So we've lost a couple of data points or a minute or two or whatever. According to the documentation, you should be running two Prometheus instances scraping the same group of hosts and, okay, use the data off the other one. We're going to keep on going now. We're not going to pause and try to recalculate this. We're just going to keep on going. And and see, that's why I am a big proponent of Raymond, since it does have a concept of time, that it's a little different from Prometheus in that regard. I thought... And and, and I think that... uh. I think that alert, the alerting engine is a little bit more advanced. Have well, we agreed on how to pronounce that yet? Raymond or Prometheus? Raymond, Ryman? It may be Ryman. I think it's Ryman. The creator has a video on the website. Let me see how he pronounces it. But one of the things that that no one really talks about that is really super important about uh, different metric monitoring style systems is the concept of operational intelligence, what your fleet looks like in the last 30 seconds, the last 30 minutes, the last 30 hours. And beyond that, the data becomes uh, less useful for for operational intelligence. And that's the, the data that, that tells you what's happening right now. There's business intelligence, there's other long-term um, analysis that you can do on your data as well that makes historical data very important as well. And some of these uh, different metric systems um, 
are much more designed toward operational intelligence, uh, Netflix's Atlas, for example, and less so for for being a long-term data store for any sort of business analysis or year-over-year analysis that folks might want to do as well. And I think a lot of folks don't fully understand and 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 they, they I don't think a lot of folks fully understand the the concepts there and what you can do with that different data and the assumptions that your software is making. So so what's the benefit of storing short-term data in Prometheus, for example, versus uh, splitting off the data that you ship out, one to a system like Raymond or Raymon, and another to Graphite for storage and analysis, and have both systems, or primarily Raymond in this case, do the alerting as well, which Raymond, since it is an event processing engine, can store windows of time of metrics, like it say, go back 60 seconds or two weeks even, and do operations on that, that back, that, that history. So I, I guess I fail to see where the benefits of having that short-term storage comes into play that Prometheus has. From what I can see as, as these tools mature into the future, uh, there's a big pro- a push to have a, a all-in-one tool that has all of the dependencies it it needs to operate. So Prometheus, it's one binary that you install. Um, and as you look at dealing with long-term data, you probably most likely need some more at-scale system to deal with that data, which becomes much more complex. Um, and for that long-term historical data, that's probably something you want to invest in. Um, but for your operational intelligence, you really want that system to be very reliable, uh, not to suffer failures with the rest of your fleet. Um, because it's it's a thing that tells you if you're in business today. The other thing that something like Prometheus gives you, or the tools that are like it, is the whole we're not bound to a time window. You send in data whenever you have it. So if you need to increase resolution on something quickly... You just do it. You just do it. And you get more data into Prometheus, and now it has higher resolution data that you can act on. And when you're done, you decrease the resolution. There's no updating a whisper file or changing other things or saying, oh, you should you should be expecting this many packets in this many time. No, you just change it, and it just happens. Yeah, I guess from the storage aspect, that's nice. But from the uh, if you're talking about strictly from the alerting point of view or the, the analysis of those events, I think Raymond and, and Prometheus are kind of tied there. But obviously, Raymond has no... Integrated storage. It depends on Graphite or, or Influx or some other storage engine to handle your shorts and long-term storage needs. And Prometheus is also, in their documentation, they are very clear that their alerting system is not finished. They say it's basically functional, but it's, it's I think I think the quote is highly experimental. So they're not trying to say that they have the all-singing, all-dancing alerting system for the world. They're also very clear in that their storage engine is is not designed for durable data. That if you need if you need persistent durable data, uh, you need to use one of the backend uh, storage engines that it supports. And I just saw a patch a week or so ago um, for a graphite uh, backend for Prometheus, which which floats my boat. It reminds me of the Kafka documentation where. They talk about crash recovery in Kafka, and they're very clear that they've optimized the use case for 
if all of your Kafka brokers are down and Zookeeper's down and everything's broken and you start turning things back on, they've prioritized getting a working system back online versus the integrity of old data. Because generally in these systems, they are the pipeline for carrying everything and having something that's running is infinitely better than spending two hours trying to crash recover, you know, a corrupt database file. So they, they prioritize the, we're online right now and your data may be hosed, but we're online and it's, you have to be aware of the design decision because if you're not, you can get into a lot of trouble, but that is kind of what they're, they're doing. That reminds me of Netflix's Atlas uh, system as well, because their system is specifically designed to come up as fast as possible in the fact of an outage. And even if you have gaps in your data because of a system-wide outage or something, uh, they document how to do the the day-over-day and the week-over-week comparisons um, and how to deal with missing data and how to make missing data really irrelevant as long as you have a majority of it. So it's very it's very operational, on-the-ground sort of focused. So, Jared, tell me a little more about Reinman or Riemann, or however we pronounce this thing. Um, in terms of, you say it's, it's an event engine, but it also stores metrics? What What's the... What, what's Actually, the, what? It, so it doesn't store any metrics. It has uh, output plugins, I guess you could call them, where it will take whatever output you or take whatever metrics it just applied an event on um, and send it somewhere else. So I, I guess to kind of go back to the beginning, Raymond has this concept of streams um, and you can have n number of streams. And basically as soon as an event comes in, you put it in the index and then you can sit there from that index and split off any number of streams that you, you want to create. And inside of these streams, you create the different functions to create the alerting, to send to different storage metrics, or to email you, or do whatever function you want to do, or even use a, it, uh, Raymond is written in Clojure, use a Clojure function. Um, and, and Clojure, <laughs> you lispy people. And uh, I, I, uh, I, I, admittedly, I do not know anything about Clojure, so I have to read a lot of... Does Emacs run inside of it, or does it run inside of Emacs? I think it runs inside of Emacs, like <laughs> everything else. <laughs> but um, I think that's the reason why I like it so much. I'm, I'm a big fan of the Unix tools uh, philosophy, where you have one program that does one thing and does it very well. And I believe that Raymond is a very good event processing engine. When it comes to anything else, it really doesn't do that part well, so it just hands it off to something else. So it has a lot of uh, plugins, a lot of input, uh, different things that you can, different ways you can pipe data into it. You have different ways to pipe data out of it, and you have different ways to massage that data to get the results or to get the analytics that you need. I may have to take a deeper look at, at this project then because I'm working right now on sort of templating and genericizing roll-up rules and alerting rules for Prometheus. And it's not the most straightforward thing in the world. I mean, it's, it's working and I'm I'm making good progress, but I'm kind of dreading the day where I have, to, I have to write a wiki entry that says, this is how you write your own for your own system. And if if Raymond can give us a better language to express that, 
and it plugs in very easily. And considering the fact that Alert Manager for Prometheus isn't technically done, it might be a an interesting tool to substitute in the chain. I have to say the the biggest feature that I'm kind of looking for in a similar system is can my users, uh, developers, you know, people with with reasonable IQs, can they use this system and figure out what they want to monitor and generate their own alerts uh, in it? in a reasonable format, or do they have to have me come in and figure out the calculus for them? Well, to be fair, most people that we talk to in our professional lives, I'm not talking about people on the street, but most operations folks, most developers, most network engineers, you say Holt Winters and they look at you and they say, who? So if you're not well, in the world... Well, it is about winter time. But it, what I'm saying is if you're not in the world of metrics analysis to begin with, a lot of the the expressions we use about these things don't make any sense because they have no they have no frame of reference. It really is a new field that that operations folks are sort of expect to have some familiarity with nowadays that was just simply not in our realm of of knowing even one or two years ago. I mean, I remember my uh, basic statistics class in in college, but yeah, I. They didn't tell me about Holt Winters predictions. Man, I love some Holt Winters trending. Well, even basic things like standard deviations. Most folks don't understand the math behind a standard deviation, so they don't know what you say. When you say it's one standard deviation or it's two standard deviations off of the mean, they go, okay. What does that mean? What does that... There's little understanding there of, of the implications of that. And bell curves and... So part of my challenge is how do I write, how do I template out an alert rule or a roll-up rule to say, I want to get anomaly detection. I want to get the most interesting events that have happened on this tier for latency. And I can figure it out. And if I, can, I put it in a wiki, other people can copy what I've put in there, but I want to make sure that people understand what's actually happening without getting too deep into it. And so if... Reinman has a better set of expressive languages for this. That alone may be enough to get it a serious look in the tool chain. And and honestly, there's a thing that I really like from another tool called Boson. I think that's how you pronounce it. Where you yeah, can I've heard of that. You you can go back and replay events where you maybe didn't trigger an alert, where you really wanted an alert to be triggered. And you can actually replay those events and tweak your settings until you get the results you wanted in the first place. And unfortunately, something like that doesn't exist for like Raymond, but it does have a test function where you can uh, send some fake data to it or um, or some some mock data and see what the results will be. So you can test your rules. But I, I really like the Boson feature there where you can go, well, here's an event that happened last night. No one got alerted or woken up. We should have what settings do we need to tweak so that we get woken up for this type of event in the future. So Prometheus has a console with a both a straight console and a graph generator. So you can look live at a, a Prometheus instances data and you can go back to a specific, specific time window and then run functions on it. So you could do the same kind of thing. I don't find that interface to be very friendly um, just because of all the nested parentheses and things that you have to write. And I'm still kind of getting used to the whole thing myself. 
Yeah, I'm still much getting used to the the Prometheus query language. But you can go back in time to data that you have that's still in Prometheus. And I think the default retention is two weeks or 15 days. So you can go back at, oh, what happened over the weekend? And find the piece that was missing or the piece that didn't get alerted on. And, okay, what would have triggered an alert on this? And you can sit there with the console and you can debug it for however long it takes and then write a rule and add the rule to the system and then you have it. Does Ryman do any uh, predictive alerting, predictive trending, since it doesn't really have its own storage back in? It doesn't really have anything built in, if I can remember correctly, on any kind of functions. However, it can, like I said, you can tell it to basically hold on to metrics for a certain period of time. And then you are, since again, it is enclosure, you can write your own functions to emulate those predictive analysis against those stored metrics. So you could do it, but you're probably going to have to write your own when it comes to that. Mm, closure plugins. <laughs> and I, I think one thing we need to talk about when talking about these different systems too, is the push or pull pull model. And uh, Raymond is, a, is very much in the push camp. Uh, but Prometheus, I understand, is in the pole or yes, pole model. Yes, it scrapes. It scrapes. And the timestamp associated with the value it scrapes is at scrape time. As uh, seen by the server. At, as seen by the server, yes. And in the graphite world, I'm so used to you know, the push-based and the timestamp is what the client assigns to the event before it sends it. And that has that has some subtle uh, implications as well. But but clocks are never out of sync. We have NTP that solves that for us. Well, subtle implications, as you know, you might have uh, used a Prometheus pushed gateway and pushed a data three seconds ago, and then it gets scraped. Um, but in reality, that uh, data has changed. But you haven't quite pushed the new uh, the new data to the push gateway yet. Yeah, but that, that comes into play specifically for Prometheus since it doesn't associate a timestamp with a with an event. Whereas if you're pushing data with timestamps time associated with it, it becomes a little less uh, uh, of a problem. However, you still have the issue of clock skew on multiple machines and no machine is going to have the exact same time. So uh, that is a fair fair point for Prometheus to be able to scrape as long as it's the one doing the scraping uh, for everything to be pretty much in sync with the time. Oh, I forget how accurate Prometheus timestamps are. Brendan, do you know? I don't have it off the top of my head. Because Graphite is based on Unix Epic time, so it can't be any more accurate than a second. And it's it should be really easy to get our fleet uh, NTP synchronized within a second. Should be. Yeah, within a whole second? Or even within like a quarter of a second, that should not be difficult. Shouldn't. Um, the other thing to remember with push-based systems, though, is if you use UTC as your system clock and somebody sets up a server at, you know, GMT plus four, GMT minus four, California, whatever it is, suddenly that system is delivering metrics that are time shifted significantly. And people often don't notice until they're looking at an event and going, well, this, this server was just fine. It had a problem four hours ago, but not right now. Unix epoch time is defined to be in UTC, um, which keeps Graphite mostly sane in that case. 
but I've seen, I've definitely seen some similar issues in the past. I've seen broken systems generate a, an epic, a Unix epic timestamp that compensates for um, time zones, which is by definition broken, but it's done it. It's it's one of those. What did did you even read the spec? Come on. Practice versus theory. In a theory, they're the same. <laughs> yes. Yes, but if you're not setting your uh, server to run in UTC, um, shame on you. I, I was about to say, is there any other time zone that you should set your server to other than UTC? Especially in a world where uh, there's so much work from home uh, so much communication and collaboration you know, uh, with people in other cities and other time zones. Please run your system in UTC. Everything. Everywhere. All the time. No matter what. I don't need to know when uh, daylight savings time went into an effect for where the person I'm having a meeting with tomorrow happens. You can calculate that later. In fact, people have written really nice libraries to calculate that later and use them. Man, I think we've gotten off topic. Have we actually explained what Holt Winter's predictions are? We've mentioned it several times. No. Take it away, Jack. Oh, man. So, Holt Winter's predictions are designed to emulate the human ability to look at a graph and say, Oh, crap, that shape is not right. Something is wrong. And it's an intuition ability that us humans have that because we're familiar with how the data looks in the past and how it's supposed to look in the future. Graphite has a series of Holt Winters functions that uh, use data from a week before the current time range to populate the prediction and then graph out a uh, set of a lower confidence band and a higher confidence band where your data should be in between those two bands. And if it's if your data is above or below those bands, um, that's usually when you want to alert to set, to set off. Can you use Holt Winter's data against cyclical data where, you know, during the day maybe you have a lot of, of messages or a lot of events, and then overnight as, as uh, a lot of less people use your system or whatever, the, the events drop down to a lot lower. I guess since you go back a week, it should see that, correct? But it, will that play into the effect of how well the confidence yes, band will be? Uh, that should define how the confidence bands behave. Of course, the the other fun thing is, if you're, I've seen this at my client, they usually have poor performance when they do a code release. And some of the Holt Winters uh, predictions that I have set up actually predict when they're going to release and allow the bands to get wider during that time period. Which may not always be what you're looking for. Well, Holt, Holt Winters also falls down for things, seasonal events like Thanksgiving. If you're not looking at a large time window, like a year's time window, and you've been looking at, say, a month's time window at, with weekly patterns and daily patterns, well, on Thanksgiving morning, nobody's at work and nobody's checking and the site. And when Black Flot Friday runs around. <laughs> or whatever it is. So either nobody's flying or nobody's making phone calls or nobody's doing whatever the thing is you're, you're watching, you're going to get an alarm on Thanksgiving Day saying something's out, of, something's out of the ordinary. And it's like, yeah, it's Thanksgiving, it's Christmas, it's New Year's. People aren't doing whatever the thing stuff. is that I'm monitoring. 
But really the beauty about uh, using Graphite's Holt Winters functions is instead of watching a series and trying to set a hard-coded threshold, you literally watch the series and let the series set its own threshold. And it's really nice when you have system-generated things that are... It's not, it's not a, a user load issue. It's a, we are doing backups, we are doing network transitions, we are doing whatever it is, and it's more of a, a system-level operation. And that's where the anomaly detection really shines because it's very consistent data until something goes wrong. And so the whole windows can get very specific about this is what it's supposed to look like, and it doesn't now. Yep. So how do we handle long-term storage of metrics? We've talked about how Prometheus isn't a good place to put that. And I know from experience that Graphite, when you get to, to very large numbers, starts to get very interesting in how you balance and how you, you do things, or do not want to go pain there. Pain and a great gnashing of teeth. Well, I, I know that it, it, that it is a pain point, but unfortunately, is there anything else that can step up and replace it? There are other um, uh, time series databases out there that are at least equivalent to Graphite. Um, and I've looked at, at several of them uh, trying to deal with long-term storage of metric data at my client. And basically, from what I can tell, um, products are either immature and not really safe to put data in, or they have their own scaling issues not dissimilar to what Graphite has. Uh, the technology may be different, the actual problems may be different, but you're still going to need man hours to put into scaling the database solution. There was an interesting paper that I saw recently about how to, but basically using Elasticsearch as your time series database for metrics storage. And they made a very compelling argument that Elasticsearch scales very nicely. You can you can drop indexes granularly based on whatever time window you specify. And if you keep your queries heavily constrained, you can stay easily within memory limits and you can go pretty far without having to get too often to left field of this, the issues of the regular scaling of Elasticsearch because memory can get messy there as well. That's a really, really interesting uh, blog post. I know a lot of people have been asking questions about time series in Elasticsearch. And... I'd be lying to tell you if that, that that was not on the table. Because I've seen extraordinarily large Elasticsearch clusters that I've helped to run. And I know that it can hold the data. It can crash recover very quickly. All these things. The, the trick is getting it plugged in correctly. And is it actually a more efficient way to handle this? Is, is this the right kind of solution to be pursuing long term? And I don't know. Yeah, does Kibana do Holt Winters uh, functions? <laughs> I I would not ever suggest putting Kibana in front of a time series database. Kibana gives you raw access to the query in really unfortunate ways. Um, it lets any user who has access to the system do any query they want. And if you know that from MySQL or other regular databases, that can be disastrous especially when you're using large data sets. So I would like to select star. Thank you. Well, it's not even selecting star. It's select star from table one, comma, table two, comma, table three, comma, table four, enter. 
Oh, you're going to do a multi-way join across everything? All the Yeah, why not? Here's 10 trillion records. Have fun. Yeah, if, if I were to set up Elasticsearch as a time series database, I would be very careful to only allow access by the storage engine or the storage interface to whatever the presentation layer was and be very specific about how the queries are handled, about which queries get run, about how the data gets tagged and organized and stored on disk, what kind of indexes get built, how all of that works to streamline and make all that very efficient, and then leave the presentation to probably Grafana or whatever other tool you wanted to use and only use Elasticsearch as literally the storage layer, but none of the other parts of it. It'd be interesting to see a, a Graphite or Grafana back in um, that actually, you know, does the math because the analytics parts are just as important as the storage. Right now, for me, it's hard to beat Grafana, honestly. Grafana 2.x, I'm running it in my home setup, and it is pretty slick. But uh, Grafana itself doesn't do the math. It doesn't do the analytics. So if ES stores the data and we're not running users through Kibana, what's doing the analytics on the data? I would probably lean towards some kind of storage plugin to Graphite, as horrible as that sounds, because Graphite has a fairly pluggable storage backend. As long as you can return the right kind of objects in the right way, Gra Graphite will be happy to treat that as the Whisper files or use that instead of the Whisper files on disk. So to me, that would be the, the right way to get the data up. It would give you all the math functions that you wanted without having to rewrite Holt Winters and all the other pieces that they've painstakingly pulled together. And Graphite is pretty much the standard query interface. It is an industry standard, oddly. As much as there are standards in this industry. Um, yeah, and keep all of the, the access of, the, of Elasticsearch down at the storage finder level for Graphite and not expose it to anything else. So that's it for our show tonight. I look forward to talking to you guys in the future. I'm Brendan Diesendorf. I'm Jack Neely. And I'm Jared Watkins. See you next week.